still recovering. Yani still, are you kidding me? Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, as-salatu wa-salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man wala. اللهم لا سهلة إلا ما جعلته سهلة وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلة اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Right, so uh, I think it's always good to start with good news and I'm very happy to uh, announce that Shaf, ما شاء الله, has joined us and not only has he joined us about time, yani, you know, listening from afar and living around a corner. And there's some, I just want to say, there's some propaganda from the sister side, yani, lots of nods and lots of yeah, yeah, it's here. Uh, but I'm very happy that he has made up for his absence um, by bringing the obligatory compensation. I know Zafar is like saying, where? <laughs> so don't, yani, hold back, uh, bro. Okay, this is not in our sunnah to hold back. That's very good. Very good. Very good. No, 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 don't say that. Don't hate. Don't hate. Don't even hate for a second. All I'm saying here is that this one stays in the bag, that one. Okay? Because that's Yani Masha'Allah Tabarakallah. Okay? That's that's something for all the people who come to the class because you're all heroes. Yeah? Because I know you like cheesy like cheesy lines like that. Then what you're laughing at, where you been? Are you kidding me? No car. And what about this? This is your car. What about these lot? Yeah, and you know, car, unbelievable. So, um, that's the hero's chocolate. So we expect some, yani, some. I forgot the word, kafara. That's the word. Oof, oof. Yes, we're happy with that, isn't it? Yeah. What are we doing? We're doing this at the end, or we're doing it at the beginning, or I'm saying that we're doing it at the end because, to be honest, Sheikh Bilafar, I don't know what he's done with the time of salah, but he's put it like, like I don't know, near midnight or something. What, what time is salah today? <laughs> Salat al Isha, the real one, not, not the fake one that they just prayed over there, the real one. Oh, they started here. Yeah, they have just started, yeah. Huh? Unbelievable. Quarter to 11. The speaker's not at the back. The speaker, good, good. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they know our position. That's fine. Yeah, okay, so, uh, quarter to 11, yeah? What time is it? Oh, it's miles away. So I definitely think we need to take a break sometime and then these boys will come in useful. Well, this boy won't come in useful, but these boys will come in useful. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, because today is a lesson of principles. Lots of uh, principles in today's lesson, inshallah. Um, and if I start to mumble and kind of whatever, then just someone throw something at me because I'm all over the show at the moment. My mind is like, yeah, and it, you know, I've been taking lots of medication and stuff. Right, okay. Any questions that are remaining from um, the last couple of lessons? Yes. Yeah, and in our, you're saying that in our discussion we got lost and we didn't come out with a, a final statement. Um, I mean, my position is very clear on the wearing of silk. That it's definitely a kibira. There's no doubt about it. And I, I can't see anywhere uh, where Sheikh, um, Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen also, uh, where he, yeah, he went against that. I think he's gone more into the, the discussion of the realities of the kabair. Let, let me just say something about the whole thing about kabair and sagair. Yani this concept of major sins and minor sins is, is an important one, okay? And there is a there's a lot. This is obviously a matter of ishtihad. The Prophet ﷺ himself did not say that this is something which is uh, 
min asghair okay he didn't himself say that however he did definitely establish the concept of maratib or level of sin so in the most famous hadith in Bukhari he said yani prevent or protect yourself from asab al mubiqat yani the seven deadly sins mubiqa so this is not a normal phrase he didn't say them he said al mubiqat yani the, the deathly deadly yani disasters and so ishraqu billah and so on and so forth yeah we covered this hadith so many times yep so uh, there's no doubt that there are differences in sin right so clearly we've seen the other end right the extreme end yani the real punishment end now we come to the other end which is the minor end yes the sagha'ir now the sagha'ir all right is a uh, a concept where we're talking about sins themselves which are and it's very difficult to define this because when you start to say a sin which is not major or serious maybe people start to take it then less seriously that's the threat that's the danger however there's no doubt for example in the hadith that is narrated in a tirmidhi which is of of so famous of course which i will just summarize as the one where the a companion kissed a woman and he was obviously this is and she was actually intending zina or they were both intending zina whatever but the point was is that it it got pulled back and but the the, the touching had happened and the, the qada the, the judgment of Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar was that this was like a disaster and keep it to yourself and make tawbah and so on and so forth however when he went to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the ayat was revealed concerning that in al-hasanat yuthibna as-sayyi'at dhalika dhikra lidhakirin that the good deeds they they erase the bad deeds the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was basically telling him to pray and that the prayer itself would erase sins So we have this scenario clearly from the sunnah that we have certain sins that are erased by worldly actions yani kafara I'm not talking istighfar and tauba and you have other sins where the prophet sallallahu does not offer a solution for in the dunya other than istighfar and tauba and so we get the idea and so on I don't want to go into this a lot now because uh, I I I speak about one or two hours of this in the class fitna when we talk about uh, when we give tafsir of some verses but this is not a section but I do want you to know that therefore the scholars generally came to the conclusion that anything that and some said anything that has a punishment in the akhirah this is a kabira and others said when we further they said anything that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam threatened some threatened something going wrong or something that will happen how's that different yani from the first one they actually said even a threat for something to happen in the dunya i can't think of an example but maybe one, maybe some of you can think of an example if you do this then this will happen to you a threat in the dunya um birr walidayn is anecdotal isn't it do we have a hadith do we have anything but from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that says if you do not do birr walidayn properly then this will happen to you in the dunya Okay, that's uh, yeah, but what's the aquba? Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar is is referring referring to something very nice that he said. Zalakhir, one of the hadith that mentions the punishment of the people who do not do birul walidain is that punishment will be brought forward for them. It will be made quick upon them, and and so on. I mean, there's many actually threats of punishment for what happens to the one who does not treat the parents correctly. The one the thing that we're discussing is that is there a sin that actually mentions a punishment in this life? 
I asked Sheikh, he gave that as an example. I said, so what is the uquba then? Mm. See, like I said, mm. when we teach Birul Walidain, uh, being good to the parents, we mention a number of anecdotal punishments that happen in the dunya, which there is no doubt about. I just want to just mention something. I use the word anecdotal a lot. Okay? Uh, we, are studying, we are studying Hanbali fiqh. You need to know something from the usul of the Hanabila. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal is one of the most prominent pushes. Uh, he's a proponent if he pushes something. Are you a proponent? Yeah. yeah. He is one of the biggest proponents of the concept of at tajruba Now, tajruba I think the same in Urdu, right? Tajruba, isn't it? Uh, um, what? Experience. Experience. Experiment. How do you understand, Yani, when I say that this is my tajruba is this? My Which is why I always translate an, a tajruba as anecdotal, or I say anecdotally speaking, meaning that by my experience, this and this. Huh? It is anecdotal, isn't it? I mean, people are not happy with that translation. I'm very comfortable with that. I think that this is exactly the, what I'm trying to say. Imam Ahmed, you see, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Again, let's step back. When it comes to, when it comes to uh, mapping out this religion and de- defining its laws, okay, you have, to prop- you have to put forward a system which is robust, which appraises all of the sources... Make sure that people always put into priority going to Quran first, then the mutawatir, then the ijma'ah, and then the individual companions, and then these kind of things, and then weaker generations. There has to be a system. Why? To make sure that people don't lose the plot, to make sure that enemies don't come and ruin the system, but also to stop people just yani, giving fanciful ideas. Because once you don't close the system, then you've got people saying, I had a dream last night, and therefore this is the position, right? So we have to be very careful. Right. Um, however, we are the people who obviously revive the concept of an authentic approach to the religion. Let's know what you're doing. Let's know the source. Make sure it's authentic. We're reviving that. At the same time, we're kind of chucking in like a really fanciful idea saying, anecdotally speaking, well, hold on. If I'm giving legitimacy to the concept of anecdotal evidence, then why can't Mr. Sufi guy say, I had a dream last night and my, 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 you know, my kutub and my big sheikh, he had a dream last night and said, we should do this, this and this. You get what I'm trying to say? So that's why I want you to know that even, even though Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal himself came up with the idea, and he used to mention it a lot in his fatawa and in his uh, question and answers. Remember, a lot of the fiqh of Imam Ahmed comes through questions and answers of either his son asking question and answers or other scholars and all of the answers being noted down. So there's a lot of conversation from Imam Ahmed which is not there from other Imams. So these conversations, okay, you see a lot where he's saying that bitajruba this, this, and this. Bitajruba avoid this, this, and this. All right. Just like I said before, that the and Sheikh will mention this later, that the mutaqaddimin, the earlier scholars, the ancient scholars, whatever phrase you want to give them, the early generations of scholars, when they used to say, when they used to say that something is makru, they meant by it that it is virtually haram or haram. Okay. Whereas the later scholars, when they say something is makru, 
then for them, makru really genuinely means makru tanzihi, because there's two forms of makru, makru tahrimi, makru tanzihi, a makru which is like a haram makru, a hate, a detest, a detested, a, a, something is detestable to the level of prohibition, and then you have something which is detestable to a, kind of avoid it, but it's not completely haram, you're not punished for doing it, and if you leave it, you'll be rewarded, that's the idea of makru tanzihi. So the latest scholars who wanted to divide things more, 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 when they say the word makru, it is generally understood as tanzihi and not tahrimi. Meaning it's important to understand the lexicon of the scholars when they speak. So Imam Ahmed used to use the word tajruva a lot. And he used to use the concept of anecdotal realities a lot. However, he himself used to keep the door closed. He never used to say that this is a legal precedent. He never used to say that this is therefore binding upon you. But he would talk about it in order to support an argument. And that's what I want you to understand. The Ahl-Sunnah, they do not use tajruba as an individual legal precedent. Rather, they use tajruba, anecdotal proof, as supportive. As supportive. Just like in court today. Just like any legal system. No people can come and say, anecdotally speaking, this is the reality. No, you've got to show facts, figures, you know, proof, research, tests, statistics, results. And that's obviously the Qur'an. That's actually any legal system. Okay, but that does not mean that we do not give value to a tajruba, yani anecdotal realities. Actually, it helps a lot to explain things. So back to the point of uh, Birul Walidain, we can very clearly anecdotally see what happens when people do not are not good to their parents. Many things happen to them in the dunya, which is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. There's no doubt about that. Okay, at the same time, someone will turn around and say that there's non-Muslim ex who killed his own parents, and he's the richest and the happiest person on the planet. True. And we need to now have an explanation for this outlier. And the outlier explanation is very clear. This is, is his punishment. The fact that he is having so much fun in his dunya and he believes that he got away with everything is his punishment. What does hatta anfusuhum wa hum kafirun? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then take his soul whilst he's kafir. Meaning he won't even give him the opportunity. Meaning that he is now so yani, immersed in his ghafla, that he's not even going to even think the possibility of iman, he will remain very comfortable and solid in his kufr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take his soul in that kufr, it can't be any worse than that, yep, so we've always got an explanation for the outliers, however we can definitely see that in general people who disrespect their parents don't listen to their parents, don't yani, involve them, don't yani, keep them happy they suffer in one way or the other, even if it's misery, even if it's pressure even if his brother and sisters boycotting them whatever it is you'll see anecdotal realities. Okay? So I think what you mentioned, Sheikh, I'm not sure whether that is the the uquba, yani the ta'jil of the uquba, the, the punishment brought forward. But it could be. Like I said, my mind is a bit all over the show at the moment. I can't think of an example of a sin that clearly... Anyway, back to the point. Huh? Riba? What's the punishment? No. There's no hadith which is authentic that mentions yani, that punishment. Zina? Yeah. What was the, what's the punishment? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, I don't mean I don't mean sins that have a had punishment. Those that have had they are exempt completely. They are well known or to be major sins. Um, I don't want you to know that the majority of the scholars they can. Marthania? Like illness, uh, deep things. Okay. For the Zeno, 
What's the, what's the, what's the evidence? I don't think there's any evidence. So I just want you to know that the majority of the scholars, the majority of the scholars, they defined a major sin as any sin which the Prophet ﷺ has threatened punishment for in the hereafter. And that's the safest and easiest definition for you to go with. And every other sin that doesn't have that, then it is by definition sagha'ir. And it can be expiated in the dunya. Whereas if something has a punishment for the hereafter, then absolutely you must make tawbah. Because tawbah obviously purifies everything. But it means it's very serious. And as I said, some scholars, they extended this kind of very tight definition. And they said, actually a kabira is more than that. A kabira is every sin that has a punishment promised in the dunya as well. I just can't think of it. I think you've got one moment. Okay. That one is adab in the dunya, so that will come under the minor sins, right? If you don't enjoy the good and forbid the evil, Allah will send torment upon you in this world. Yeah. You will pray and not be. Uh, so this is so, so. So what you've just said is a. Um, a clear, a clear example of those that said that a major sin is that which is punished in the dunya, they would then say that this is a clear proof of something which is a major sin, yeah. not enjoying the good and not forbidding the evil. Right. So that's good. That's and, very good. Well done. If you've got the, the hadith where the Isra, okay, where the Prophet alayhi salatu salam saw saw various people being punished in various ways. No, that would be the akhirah because he was being shown the akhirah. He was not being shown the dunya. Yeah, so that's an example of major sins. What, what they yes. committed. Yes, yes. But that's easy because we know that those the, the majority of those sins were had punishments or they were, they, were, they were sins that people were doing and the punishment is very clear in the hereafter. On that, there's no difference. Like, like when the scholars debated how to define yani kabira and sagira, they're all very happy with the idea that anything that has a punishment in the hereafter is definitely a major sin. The issue is like what you just mentioned here. Can we extend it to actually anything that has a punishment in the dunya as well? And I think that that is a safe position to take. Anything that has a punishment threatened, dunya and akhirah, not anecdotally, but actually legitimately, yani legally, that's a, a, a kabira. Okay? Are we left with any minor sins at all? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Like I said, the, the, the kissing of a girl. person went up to someone, found her very attractive, kissed her, couldn't you know, prevent himself, or a girl did the same. Then, by definition of this hadith, which is Suhiyah, that is a minor sin because it can be expiated by sadaqa, good actions, and specifically the prayer. That, 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 that's, that's, this is one of the most formative hadith for this, for this area of fiqh, that we do have this concept of small and major sins, uh, minor sins and major sins. There's a big deeper discussion here as well. Yani what is the definition of minor sins? Are they called sagha'ir? Are they called sayyi'at? Are they called akhtar? I don't want to get into that now. Okay? Sheikh Ihlan wrote a nice uh, article a couple of weeks ago about khata. Okay? And a khata, which by definition is called a mistake. When does a khata become blameworthy? When is it negligence? And when is it just a mistake that a person messes up? And we have made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he doesn't hold us accountable. Right? In the end of Baqarah. Don't hold us to account, Ya Allah, for that which we forget or which the mistakes we, we made. In the hadith of Bukhari, Bukhari Sah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I have done that. 
meaning I will not يعني, hold you accountable. It's more like an accident than I used. So, so you mean that mistake is not the right word? It should be used, the word accident should be used? Yes, because a mistake can be intentional. Uh, and ex- this is the exact point. Sheikh Kehlan, يعني, he wanted to make it very clear that the word mistake, one person, you, you know, the word khata, I mean, you shouldn't just become relaxed with the word. There is danger associated with the concept of khata, meaning there is an intentional kind of negligence, right? So accident, I think, is good. Actually, I like that. Accident would make it clear because you can't possibly make an intentional accident. If you did that, then, then you'd be called something else. So, yeah, that's, that's the right kind of way of looking at it. <laughs> Well, not bad. His salah is not accepted for 40 that's days. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, it's a good example of drinking other alcohol. Other yeah, that's, that, that's too general. That's a depressing, depressing Correct, correct. In the dunya. Correct. So, i'rad and so i'rad from the dhikr of Allah. Yeah, and he, that's also good. You're right. It's just that it's a bit. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a bit khiali, huh? Vague. Yeah, it's a bit vague. It's a, so, 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 so we have to define the sin. Yeah, and i'rad and the dhikr of Allah. Yeah, then he will have a ma'ishatin danka. Okay, so he will have. So whoever turns away from the dhikr of Allah. As Allah says in the Quran, he will have a very depressing life. Now we know that for 100% sure. Even if they are the most famous yani, non-Muslim celebrity, blah de blah, we know that they are living in misery, yani, in some way or some form. The, so then what's the sin here? The sin is turning away from the, the, the dhikr of Allah. Yeah, okay, I, I, I'd accept that. I think it's good. I think it's good. <sighs> so that's another discussion, isn't it? What's the difference between a consequence and a punishment? So a consequence okay. isn't that isn't that kind of more philosophical philosophical because if you became ill, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who made you ill. Nothing happens to you by your own will, right? I, I mean, your own effort. So you, you were the one who instigated that. The consequence is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afflicts you with, right? I just think that the whole consequence punishment, I think, is a bit... I think it's uh, semantics. I think both are probably acceptable. With regards to the example of the alcohol one, yeah. uh, how would that definition fit in the one you said anything that has punishment in the akhirah? Yes. Which all scholars agree upon. Okay. All right? And then some extended it to say that anything that is threatened with punishment in the dunya is also min al-kabair. Now, for alcohol, it's not a problem because actually we know already that it is. Mm-hmm. But it just as you said, it's an example of something that shows sin in this life. Okay, let's move to the, to the uh, thing. You bring up the text, uh, Shaz, the uh, English era. Yes. Therefore, wearing silk is a major sin uh, by, our de- by our definition by the definition of virtually all scholars, it's very difficult for them to not classify silk as a major sin. Because as the Prophet ﷺ said, that you will not therefore get it in the Akhirah. And last week's discussion at the end of Sheikh Walid was about what does that actually mean. But regardless of how we look at it, okay, it's a punishment. Okay, it's a punishment. 
we can we can be semantic about yani, you know not getting it in akhirah means that we won't realize it won't feel it or blah 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 but the reality is is that it's a punishment okay um, so where are we now we're discussing just go to the Arabic chat so I can see it again yeah so we then came وَيَحْرُمُ The penultimate paragraph وَيَحْرُمُ إِسْتِعْمَالُ مَنْسُوجٍ أَوْ مُمَوَّهٍ بِذَهَبٍ قَبْلِ اسْتِحَالَتِهِ وَثْيَبَ حَرِيرٍ وَمَا هُوَ أَكْثَرُ ظُهُورًا عَلَى الذُّكُورِ لَا إِذَا اسْتَوَيَا Which is what we're going to do today وَلِذَرُورَةٍ أَوْ حِكَّةٍ أَوْ مَرَادٍ أَوْ حَرْبٍ أَوْ جَرْبٍ in another, in another نسخة Okay, or Jarabin in another Nusha will come to that. Okay, or Hashwan, or Kana, Alaman, Arba, or Sabi, Fumadun, or Rika'an, or Labinata, Jabin, or Sujafa Fira. Okay, we won't do the last one today at all. Okay, uh, English hands. So, what that translates as is that garments that have been knitted or plated with gold are impermissible. We covered that last week, unless it has undergone a transformation. Garments made of silk, or that which the majority of it appears to be from silk, are also impermissible for men. We've done that. Now we're going to look at the exceptions. Okay, today let's see if we can get through all the exceptions. So, the first exception is except in the following cases if the amount of silk and non silk is equal. So, this is in the middle of page 213. La Okay, so therefore, silk clothes, which were the 50 50%, then it is not impermissible. Okay, meaning it's permissible to wear clothes which is 50 50. Uh, why? The Hanbalis are saying that simply we're taking the position that the majority. Is what's the problem? Once you are 50-50, then we can't give the yani, the ruling uh, that is haram. Sheikh Uthameen goes into a discussion okay, of two opinions. And actually, he says something interesting. He says, I'm impressed with both, both parties. Because some people said, no, it is haram. And others said, it's not haram, like the Hanbalis. And he said that when you look at the reasonings that they both give, they're both valid reasonings. Right? The ones who said that it is haram, they said... That when you see something which is 50%, then we should give it the basic ruling of everything. Because it's so significant. And whenever a halal and haram, they come together, when they come together at one time, then this, this, this yani indicates something which is uh, impermissible. Whereas the other ones, the other scholars, the Hanbalis, they said, hold on, how can we say that 50% equals, equals all of it? It's just not possible. Yani you're pushing it further than it should be. 50% means 50%. It's half. You cannot give al-akthar or aghlabiyya or the majority to something which is 50%. And so therefore, no, it is permissible. And that is the class position. It is Sheikh Uthameen's position. It is the humbly position as well. Okay. Um, Sheikh mentions um, something. He says, my personal position is al-ihtiyat. Okay. And we've talked about this a lot. Al-ihtiyat means to be on a safe side. Meaning that Sheikh's legal position is that this is permissible, as is the class position. However, our personal practice is that if something is 50% silk, then we would avoid it. Out of safety, not out of legal reality. Out of legal reality, we are saying that it is legally permissible. There is no anything to show proof, clearly, that this is haram. However, the fact that there is such a significant amount there, 50% is no joke, then he says, he says, he goes... وهذه قاعدة شرعية مضطردة في مثل هذه الأشياء التي تتعرض فيها الأدلة وموقفنا منها الاحتياط والاحتياط في مقام الطلب الفعل وفي مقام النهي الترك 
What Shaykh says is something important, which I'm sure all of you know, but he repeats again. He says, he says that the principle of ihtiyat, the principle of safety is simple. That if there's the potential possibility of them requesting something from us, then we will do it. And if there is the potential possibility of something being impermissible, we will leave it. The possibility, the potential possibility of something being haram, then we will leave it. That's what, what safety is, isn't it? Safety is that I'm going to just do this to be on the safe side. I'm going to leave this to be on the safe side. Someone says that this sandwich has been made by people who are working with pork, whatever, whatnot. We can go into details and say he didn't touch it. There's no pork inside. He did, But you know what? Yeah, and if you're a pack, you're just like, like you know what? I'm just out of there. You know what I'm saying? You can pretend that you did it for the safe side, but you're just a pack. Right? You're not being rewarded for that squat. Okay? You're bringing, yeah, that's just your nafrat from a pack side. You've got nafrat like that from, you know, Hindus and their vegetarian food. Yeah, right? Okay? Or is that just my dad? <laughs> Yeah, I told you guys about my dad, right? Miskina, what was her name? Warsha, Warsha her name was, yeah? I never forget subhanAllah, her name came to my mind, don't know how it just came to my mind. She was Varsha with a V, but you know, Pakistan say a, a Varsha, so she was Warsha in my house, yeah? She was Warsha. And uh, Miskina, she lived opposite our house, and I'm telling you now, she was the nicest Hindu on this planet, okay? But she was proper Hindu, I mean, she was hardcore Hindu. You'd go into the house, and you would see like the house of horrors. It was like, Vianney. it was next level behavior, all kinds of bakwas all over the show. I'm telling you, Yara. She said that you would walk in, you would see some stuff, Yara. You would see some stuff. My dad refused to go in. Okay? She was very nice. She used to have a nice little micro, red micro, small, small old, old school one. And this is in Ilford, uh, in East London. And she used to make barfi and sweets. And so much biyad she used to put into it. And she used to send it to my house. And my dad would refuse not, not only to eat it, he would ban my mom from eating it completely because, as we say in Pukhto, as they say, that her, his hand reached over her, as we say in Pukhto. But I was like, not having none of that, yeah? So I was like, enjoying that barfi behavior, you know what I'm saying? Because it's vegetarian Hindu behavior. But, you know, my dad, they can't separate it. Now, that's when I was young. Lafanga Pendu, like, you know, relaxed. But when I grew older, have I not told you this? Okay? When I, when I grew older, I've become like my dad. Okay? Me and um, a friend <laughs> recently, um, there was a group of us, we went on holiday. <laughs> there was a group of us, we went on holiday. Okay, you know Yasser Qadi, he was with us, yeah? And his families and this and that. Anyway, we took a, a rest stop. And the rest stop was a friend, a family friend of who we were with. And he was a Hindu. Okay? And basically, it was a rest stop for people to basically uh, go to the toilet, have a bite to eat. He had already arranged everything. And... Uh, you know, salah outside or whatever, whatnot. Anyway, all the families went in, everyone in, went in. Yasser went in. I walked in. I swear, I just had to walk straight back out again. There was no way I was eating anything in that place. There were statues everywhere. Kasmir, it was mental. There were statues, garlands, there was yeah, anything. So he was the nicest guy on the planet. And he had cooked. And when I looked at the food, I felt sick. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I felt sick. These are vegetarian people. And I'm thinking, when I was a young lad, I'd be in there, I'd be smashing all that hardcore, bash, you know, bam, bam. Now I said, I'd rather starve than touch that food. You get nafrat when you grow up. I don't know. Whether you, when you, I don't know. You have to, cultural you know, conditioning. Huh? Cultural, cultural conditioning, yeah? I don't know where it comes from, subhanAllah, so strong. So, yani, think about, think about how psychologically strong that must be to make me have a physiological reaction of wanting to be sick. That's crazy, huh? But you go in and you see all that behavior and you think, oh. 
And there's nothing to do with the food. What the hell's that got to do with the food? They're the cleanest people ever. There's no kids, yani, nothing. No dirty kids, nothing, yeah? So it's clean, you know, adults. Anyway, I'm turning to my dad, yeah. Which isn't entirely a bad thing, but you know. Yes. Yeah, you, you're saying that you would never ever say that this hot dog is halal when someone says thing, and that is the argument of the people who said it is it is impermissible. However, technically speaking, all right, let's not call it a hot dog. Let's call it halal, guys. Uh, halal guy. What what what, what do you have to call hot dogs to avoid the name? Because you know, packs have got nothing against the name. Bangers. Huh? Bangers. Bangers. No, sausages, you're having a laugh. The word sausage was banned in my house and it's still banned in my house. My dad, if you hear the word sausage, he has a heart attack. You know what I mean? Huh? You know, subhanAllah, let me check, I want to tell you something really funny. Me and my missus, where did my missus go? Pakistan? Yeah, me and my missus went to Pakistan. We took Hibber with us and we, we left the, uh, the rats with uh, mum and dad. Now, it was school time. So that means sandwiches every day. Okay. So my mum is very used to making sandwiches. You make bad sandwiches for us every day. We were not school dinner people like you rich people. We were Shazada everyday school dinners, yeah, mashaAllah. I never saw a school dinner in my life unless, unless I stole a dinner ticket of some, someone and, you know, blagged it, okay? We used to have a business of dinner tickets, you know, that used to literally buy and sell dinner tickets. People like Shazada never ever experienced that side of life. Every single day, having custard and having roly-poly, isn't it? And eating chips and eating fish and uh, whatever. That's what happens at Berry Grammar School, by the way. Yeah, I just want you to know he goes. To, he went to Berry Grammar School. Actually, all of his family went to Berry Grammar School. Bismillah, mashaAllah. They have no idea what it means to live real life. But anyway, anyway, what the hell are we talking about, by the way? You and the Mrs. Mum, 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 making sandwiches day and night. Very inventive. She doesn't got bored of stuff, you know, whatever. So she was very good. Now, obviously, at that time, living with my dad under my dad's hand. There was no possible idea of salami, halal, I mean, or, you know, all this kind of halal stuff that you get. You know what I'm saying? Now, our kids, they're living a dream. I'm not going to lie. They're not <coughs> touching school dinners. I'm telling you straight. They have to go through what I went through. So they, went, they go through school. Dinner, uh, they have pack lunch every single day. But they have, like, frankfurters, halal sausages. You know what I mean? The ones that come in packets and stuff. Yeah. And dry salami cuts, you know, whatever, whatnot. He's a dream, yeah, and we never saw anything like that. So my mom looks at that. She goes, The only way that we, that we could go on a holiday, by the way, is for my parents to come and live in my house. My parents hate Cheeto, by the way. They absolutely hate Cheeto because they like their own long sight behavior. They like to walk to the masjid, you know, my, you know, my dad, yeah. So, but it was the only way. So they're living in. If they're living in, they're sharing the same fridge. My mom told me straight, she said, Son, your dad will not allow any halal sausages in that fridge. <laughs> there is no way you've got a major problem here. So I had a big muscle on my hands. So I had to convince the kids that, guys, for a couple of weeks, you're going to have to go without the salami, without all this stuff. That what I'm trying to say is that it's impossible for my father to understand the concept of a halal sausage <coughs> or salami halal, chicken and beef and turkey. Impossible, yani. And he just looks at the way it looks like, and he starts being sick, and he starts getting losing losing the plot. That's called cultural conditioning, bro. What, what did he use to eat it then? 
I was I was by myself. What was the problem? When my dad, so you, you think I'm showing my dad bloody the, the fridge of showing all the all the sausages that I ate? You're kidding me! He would walk past and say bloody Arabs. You know standard. What are these bloody Arabs doing? Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Like I said, it's, it's it's cultural conditioning. He can't get into his head that people can eat food like that, even if it. Anyway, so back to the point. Let's technically look at this hot dog. Let's get rid of the the the, the cycle. The, the, what's the word? The, the trigger. The trigger of the name. Yeah, is there is there is there a word for triggering? The triggering name. Does that does that make sense? What I mean by that? Yeah, the name triggers something, right? So, let's get rid of the triggering name hot dog and put in kebab. Yes. Huh? We call it Turkish kebab. And it comes in two pieces of bread, but half of it is pork. So the person's gonna then buy it from the halal part. It's halal, isn't it? You might be sick being so close to the pork, but technically speaking, it's halal. That's different though, because we're talking about. A What's different? I just changed the names. No, no, we're talking about a blend, not. No, no, a blend. Copy yourself. A blend is something else. No, no, no. No, no, that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not saying that because because if something is like, I mean, I don't know how silk is. 50% silk type. So what do you mean? You mean like the tie itself? Polyester and silk, mixed up. Mixed up, yani, in the actual, in the actual uh, creation process. Right. So according to this, I mean, like I said, let's leave my opinion out of it. If it's 50%, it's permissible. And if it's more than 50%, it's impermissible. So what's the difference, what's the difference with the meat if you have a blend of pork and chicken? Like what, how come that's not allowed, but the blend of silk and other materials is? Because oh, chicken in itself is haram. Silk in itself is not haram. We're going to come to a principle which will show you the difference between pork and silk. Yes, we can start that discussion right now. To be quite, to be quite frank, okay. But do people straight off recognize the difference between pork and silk in terms of impermissibility? Is there mentioned in the Quran a verse? No, that's not the issue. Pork in of itself is haram. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Pork in of itself is haram. Silk in of itself is not haram. It belongs to the category of what we call tahrim al-wasail. Yani, it is haram because of what it leads to. It of itself is something which is amazing and beautiful and X and Y and Z and whatever. But it does not, yani, it's, and I'll give, I'll, I'll go for Sheikh actually very nicely. He goes through this in a lot of detail. And it's very beneficial. Okay? It's not najis. But I just want to make it clear that this principle, if you understand it, yani, this is the difference between students who study and those who just yani, taking the deen from the internet. So when a sheikh gives a, a fatwa saying that this is permissible or X is permissible, okay, you understand that the fatwa is being given because of the usul which is being played. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the example. I'll give you the example. Anyway, what does Sheikh Uthameen say on page 214? He goes, well, yani, yani, basically this, the summary is that what is haram is pure silk or that of which most of it is silk. As for that which most of it is not silk, فَحَلَال, it's halal. 
As for when you have 50-50% and it's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars and Shaykh Uthameen says, I'm going to avoid it. It's legally correct, it's allowed to wear, but I'm not going to go there. Simple as that. Now then Shaykh starts giving specific examples. He says, As the author said, also silk is allowed to be worn for a necessity. Zarura, you know, Pax, Pax is Zarura, Darura. Yeah, okay. So, it is permissible to wear silk if there is some pressing necessity. For example, he does not have anything else to wear. It's time to pray or he needs to, you know, whatever. He's, he, yeah, he needs, to cover, he needs to cover his aura or he's got nothing else to wear or whatever. This is a darura. He does not need to repeat his prayer. He puts it on. He has a house fire. He grabs the first thing next to him. It's a silk robe. He puts it on. Permissible. He's got nothing else to wear. His aura, uh, Sheikh Uthameen gives an example. He's got a cloth. And he's got a robe, but it tears and it's not covering his aura. He uses pure silk to cover the rest of it, etc., etc. So for a necessity, it can be used. Some examples. He goes, for a hikka. What's a hikka? Itch. And this itching is a broad one. And I want you to understand, it's a broad matter. Okay? That for itching, it is possible. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says the hikmah, the wisdom behind allowing this is أن الحرير لنعومته ولينه يدفئ الالتهاب من الحكة يعني silk because of its softness and because of its uh, what? نعومة إيش إيش نعومة؟ silkiness, smoothness يعني it's a bit of a cop-out to say silkiness, yeah, and if, uh, because as we're, trying, we're, 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 try, we're trying to explain what does silky mean. What is the... What's nu'uma? What's nu'uma? Softness, right? But then he says lean, which is again a softness. How are we going to Englishly... But that's speaking from experience, Yara. He knows, Yara, velvety. I don't even know the word velvety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soft. So this is exactly the point. Correct. No friction. No friction on the skin. And also no friction for things that are going to be on it. That's going to come in a second. So that's the point. Now, what's this? Uh, is this really valid? Yes. He gave, conf- he gave a concession to Abdul Rahman ibn Awf and Zubair ibn Awam that... They are allowed to wear the harir, silk clothing, because of an itching that they had. Some kind of condition that was creating itching, so they were allowed. This hadith is narrated in Bukhari, in the book of Jihad. Okay, so you can check that as footnote number one. If a person was to say, Sheikh says, فَإِذَا قَالَ قَائِلٌ لَدَيْنَا قَائِدَ شَرْعِيَّةٌ وَهِيَ أَنَّ الْمُحَرَّمِ لَا تُبِيحُهُ إِلَّا الدُّرُورَةِ وَهُنَّ الْحِكَّةِ هَلْ هِيَ الدُّرُورَةِ Sheikh says that... If someone was to say that, hey, in our, in our sharia, we have a principle that um, haram things are not permitted except for a necessity. Is itching really a necessity? Yeah, and what's the definition of necessity? Normally necessity we understand is that your life is threatened, your deen is threatened, your, what, your aql is threatened, your wealth is going to be completely stolen or you're going to lose everything. You get what I'm saying? You don't normal sense you only put an itch into the category of life-threatening illness. 
صح؟ someone comes to upon itch. Okay. Does it reach the rura though? How many forms of itching are that you're going to kill yourself like you're saying that you're going to rip your skin off? Absolutely. I'm, I'm more than aware of the physical medical conditions that lead to a person going nuts on himself. I get that. But but skin but itching in of itself is it a darura? Or or there's something else at play. That's good what you said. It must be a darura because the Prophet Sallallahu gave the concession. <coughs> or sorry, that principle is not defined properly. Correct, exactly. Or the principle has not been defined properly, and that's what we're about to do now. So I want you to know that if we are going to put itching in the position of darura, we're in big trouble. We are not defining darura properly. Itching is not a darura. Let me give you a modern day example. Okay? The big discussion about student loans. Okay, when we were trying to, yani myself and the other mashayikh, yani as part of al-qalam, trying to come to a fatwa to try and work out how we can help students Yani, you know, get over this 9,000, 11,000 stupid thousand, yani, uh, you know, uh, things. Yeah. Um, there are some that just gave the fatwa straight out. Straight out. They said it is permissible because of the need. And that's it. And that therefore brings, yani, our entire discussion is surrounding one principle, one principle alone. Is education at darura? Is university education at darura? Or is it a haja? Because you have two principles. You have two, sorry, states. You have a necessity and a need. There has to be a difference between a need and a necessity. A need are the basic things, which is clearly what itching is from. And then you have darura, which is the very serious matters in life. Like as I said, life and wealth and aql and so on and so forth. Deen, of course, okay? This is from the daruriyat, all right? So... I want you to know that that's the correct principle, that we have the different yani, ideas. You now know that itching does not belong to the top one, it belongs to the second one, which means that we're going to have to have work out how is it permissible. We'll do that in a second. But I just want to give you that modern example of how this is applicable in modern times. There are people out there that were trying to basically permit taking riba, okay? Because I just want you to know that even I, even though I don't like it, but even I understand completely the legitimacy of a scholar saying to someone that, uh, you know, um, I bought my house on mortgage, I have five children, blah, 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 and the amount that I'm paying is X, Y, Z, whatever, and, you know, it's the rent is going to cost more, and the only way that I can get out of this now is to sell my taxi, for example, and his taxi is his entire source of income, and if I sell this, blah, blah, then it's going to pay off my thing, but I'm not going to have it, you know, but then I, I've got no income. So what's my ruling? And a scholar giving the fatwa saying that it's allowed for you to buy this house or it's allowed for you to not sell the taxi or whatever. When they give that fatwa, how are they doing it? Tell me. What's the necessity? The shelter, the house, the whatever. <coughs> and so they determined that shelter for the family is a necessity which therefore then overrides for a fatwa the prohibition of riba. Okay? It's easier to do that 
with certain things when you understand, number one, what the level of the need is or necessity, and number two, what the haram is. Is the haram something haram in of itself, or is it something which is something which leads to haram? So I'll give you another example before we get to the text here. Drinking on a table, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ made it very clear it is prohibited to sit at a table where alcohol is drunk. I ask you a question. Is this impermissibility, muharram, is this tahrim? Lizatihi or min al wasail? It's wasail. It is what it leads to. It's not impermissible in of itself. Ibn Qayyim spoke a lot about this in I'lam al Muwaqi'in, a book which he wrote about the concepts of usul and ideas, trying to establish principles for the religion, what we call usul al deen. It's a clear principle that we have to differentiate haram things and put them into category. Um, not for our legal structure, because from our legal structure is haram and then we avoid it. But for fatwa cases, when a person comes to us and says, Sheikh, you know what? I've got this big job and I, I, you know, everything's going well and I've got promotion, I'm going to have a lot of power, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to have to go and sit at this table and so on and so forth. Yeah, and when, he comes to, when a person comes to you like that, you are judging a number of things. You are judging, number one, this person and his position. This job and how important it is to him. The frequency of how many meetings like that will occur in the overall scheme of things. And then the haram that he will do as related to the, yani in the, in the maratib of haram. So I have given the fatwa, for example, that it is permissible for a person to actually sit at the table and create some kind of artificial kind of, you know, I'm not really in this kind of game as such. Just to show an ethical, almost, distrust of what's going on. And you know, when you're drinking water, you are making an ethical statement. You make it very, very clear that I'm not part of your kind of game. But if you even... So don't belittle what I mean. Don't belittle these psychological factors. When everyone's knocking down Big Bear and you've got a glass of water, you are making a statement and you're drinking and you're keeping completely calm. And if you are not part of their, uh, all their mentalness and you're keeping... That's another ethical statement you're making. I want you to know that if you make a niya from an Islamic point of view, you are helping your fatwa position that I've given you. Right? Again, we're going on another tangent. Mufti Taqil Uthmani is going to be here uh, soon. I think this weekend. Okay, and he's obviously one of the greatest scholars in the world, one of the most senior scholars. Mufti Taqil Uthmani from Pakistan, from Karachi. And in his book and in his teachings of Islamic finance, of course, he's the, the world leader in that. He mentioned something which is very interesting, which I liked a lot. Shows the man who's thinking at a deeper level. Not just the yeah, just giving fatwas for people to get out of things. He mentioned that a person who is taking up shares in a company, you know, always the question is, is it permissible for me to buy in this company? That's what always the question is, right? And then the idea is that, the, that you present to the sheikh and the percentages of the businesses that this is haram, this is halal, this is haram, this is halal, and you work it out. And if the percentage is less than 5%, for example, we consider it then insignificant, we allow it. Or for example, if it's, uh, you know, the, the amount of debt in the company is uh, less than a third or less than uh, half, for example, because... Uh, when you study this, eventually you'll realize that if you, you're not allowed to invest in a company where the majority of it is debt, because that means you're investing in money, and investing in money is a riba issue that you come into. That means that your share that you buy is actually the majority cash, so you're actually banking on cash to increase in value, even though it's a debt. I don't want to you know, make that thingy. So what Sheikh said is that in his book, you can read it, Islamic Finance, what's it called? An Introduction to Islamic Finance, very good book, but also in his teachings, he says that there's one thing about getting the, you know, saying it's allowed to buy the, the share in the company and you know, it being permissible. That's one thing. 
However, it's not just about that passing the tick box. It's not a tick box uh, process. There's a phrase for that, isn't it? There's not. It's not. What's the name? It's not a tick box exercise. It's not a tick box exercise that I've just now covered the percentages. When you purchase your share and you are now that kind of person who just leaves it now alone, it is ethically required of you to send in a letter every single year to the annual general meeting. You know, you get that. If you own shares, you receive a letter, doesn't it? It says, hey, come to the annual general meeting. Do you want to do anything by proxy, blah, blah, blah. And all packs just you know, completely ignore it, point of in, because it means nothing to us. We're not going. But Sheikh Muftak Uthmani said, you have to respond. And you have to uh, protest. Because you're a shareholder. You have the right to do that. But no packy does that, right? So you have to show your protest at their increasing levels of taking loans, for example. And we protest at the yani, uh, interest rates that you have used to loan money to yourselves. And we protest at XYZ. And we protest at child thingy protests. You, know, you look into it, even though it's technically worked out for you to be halal because the company does that at a minimum, you should protest. You get what I'm saying? So what I want you to know is that there are more than just simple... There's a lot of factors in the issue of fatwa and in haram, and this is more than just a tick, a tick box exercise. As Sheikh Uthameen said, you know, if it's 50-50%, then we just tick it and it's halal. However, he said, it's not, I'm not going to touch it, which shows that there's more to it than that. There is a concept of safety. And also, as I said, this understanding that necessity is not always yani, a necessity. Might be, it might be a haja, but because of the nature of the haram thing, it's something different. Back to the point. Yani, student loans, we are struggling to work out, to, to, to justify. I was anyway. I'll say that the rest of the panel, they were there. I, I was, I went, I'm the one who protested that I disagree. Okay? I now more and more, I'm convinced, more and more, every day, that... University education is not a necessity. Before, or, or for the majority of these fatawa, the scholars were deeming it a necessity. How did they justify it? They said that without that education, you don't get enough professionals. And without enough professionals, you don't have enough people in the right places to in- implement society. That means that you don't have a certain level of income to create an upper class of Muslims that are able to affect any society. And you don't have enough qualified people to go into government, blah, 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 to be able to affect policy. So if we don't promote education at that level, yani as a means to get to these positions, then we're going to be struggling as a Muslim community. Therefore, they gave the fatwa and they made education a necessity. Therefore, it's allowed to take a loan. It's allowed to take an ex because of the absolute necessity for you to get this. I have a problem with that. My problem is, is that once you open this door, then you are able to promote many needs to the level of necessity and you start to mess up the system. I go further. I say to you that now more than ever we have seen that the most successful people are those that don't even go to any university. There are people who make business or there are people out there who go and make an app or some, some kind of crazy amount of money. They're so rich and they are... Ex- you know what I'm saying? I'm saying that, yes, if you're looking at the old Etonian kind of model, no one's going to become prime minister. The last six prime ministers are all from Eton, bloody blah, so we've got to get someone there. If you're talking of working within a system, I get that. There's, a, there's an argument for that. But are we saying that it is absolutely essential for all of our children to consider education a necessity? I mean, higher education? I have my doubts about that. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I have my doubts about that. I went to university. And yes, there was certainly a value to my professional degree. But I don't use it today. Very little I use it today. I think now more than ever, people 
are going for to universities and they are isn't the graduate unemployment rate like twice the normal one Have I misread that? Rashid, your academic makeup, whether you're practicing as a pharmacist, that education process has contributed to where you are today. So there's no doubt about that, that there's an issue of the formation of the mind and critique and, you know, blah de blah academic uh, 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 rigor that it creates. There's no doubt about that. But I ask you, is it so important and is it so limited and restricted to university to create such a mind? Sorry? I don't think you can get that kind of mind, mindset without, without going to university. Without going to university? I don't think it's not possible, for example. I, so, so, so you're saying that before yeah. university, there was people that didn't have a critical mind? I think there, there have been universities longer than most people. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, and the Muslims are the ones who created the first universities. We have the first and we have that entire thingy. I'm saying that before that, they didn't have, that didn't happen? Well, when? when? Yeah, for example, people outside of Tunisia, people outside of Zaytuna, okay, or Zaytuna, I should say. Yeah, and people out of Qarawain, for example, they didn't have the ability to critically appraise. I, I don't think so. I think I think the educational establishments have always played a major role like that. I don't think people can individually. So we're not arguing. We're not. Ar- we're not arguing about. We're not. Ar- yeah, exactly. We're not arguing about the benefit that uh, 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 universities bring to the academic mind. There's no doubt about that. It's what we're talking about, which is, is it a necessity? And that depends on the individual. And that's the point. Yeah. And that's the point I'm trying to make. That to give a blanket fatwa and say that education across the board is a necessity, and it will definitely, yani, it's so important that we'll allow the haram to become halal. It's a big statement. You're making a massive statement. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it. Am I more comfortable to maybe do and, uh, you know, take a few liberties and create a structure that a person can go into and so on. I feel more comfortable with that, with something which is halal. Like for example, uh, uh, the one which similar to what was okayed by the, uh, the government, a tawarruk plan, which I'm not going to bore you with, okay, because it's a detailed kind of financial transaction. But basically, you are given money to buy some metal and it's then sold back to a metal buyer at a higher price. So therefore you receive then the sale of that money that you used to finance your course, but because the person now you owe that person after a sale, so owing money from a sale is more, uh, uh, owing money from a sale, which is more than what you had in the first place is permissible. And then you are then given the uh, timings to pay it back. That never happened. This is what's called Tawarruk. No, but it didn't happen. No, no, it does happen. Situation. Oh yeah, of course it happens. Yeah. So oh no no I'm not I'm not I'm not, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it's oh, it's not it is, I'm not saying the student loans have started. I'm saying tawarruk happens all the time. I'm saying for this situation for student loans. For student loans, it's no way. No no no. Uh, meaning that's the model which the government has accepted, and they need to get what's called royal appro- approval. So you know. I mean, they keep changing them anyway. They're, they're... Whatever, but I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the details of, at the moment are obviously you know irrelevant. The point I'm trying to make is that as long as the the money that you pay back is not variable and it's not going up and down, you know, and whatever, then we've got a model that can work if it gets applied when it gets applied. Just so that you know, by the way, Arrayan Bank, which is what used to be called Islamic Bank of Britain, its loans that it gives 
to uh, people is based upon tabarruq, which is real and it happens. And there's a Sharia supervisor that makes sure that the cell goes through and it's usually aluminium or copper, stable kind of stuff, very little kind of you know, movement, etc., etc. Anyway, I don't want to go into that because we've gone right miles out. But anyway, the point is back to the issue. That do we genuinely believe that education is a necessity? And I believe that more people are starting to realize that it's not. Okay? And I'm just getting to see so many people. Yes, people could be critical and say, who needs English graduates? Why did you do English? Why did you do the arts? But that's just not good enough. I think just generally across the board, I don't think that university is as powerful as it might have been. Allah knows best. I think, I think you have to be careful the same way you can't say it's a blanket necessity. I think you can't say it's never necessity. Yeah, it will really depend on the, the person of the person, and that's why we always say that when it comes to an individual person, bringing individual circumstances will allow them to go and do. So, if a girl was to come, for example, and she said that, "Listen, I'm the only girl in my in my house, all right, and my parents are old, and um, I know that I have the ability to do X, Y, Z in university and get a profession, whatever. I know that if I get married, then I have to get married to a person." who is going to have to allow me to look after my parents because there's no one else to look after them. Do you understand? Majority of men will not accept that. So this sister is going to, is, is going to have to use her brain and say, you know what, I have to prepare for not getting married because I might not find that person who's willing to completely allow me because every man who gets married is looking after his own parents. How is he going to have a wife that's going to be looking after? And you need someone who's really, yani, like a superman that's going to marry a woman like that. Okay, so she shouldn't just wait for Superman. People don't live in romance. Yeah, need, she needs to prepare herself. So then she then goes through the education. She wants to get qualified so that she can then support her parents herself. I give the fatwa for her to go ahead and do it. Yeah, and on an individual basis, education for her was actually really important, and so on and so forth. Yep, she's waiting for a Superman that's going to come to save her. Not going to happen. Or she's going to have to become a fourth wife or something like that, an old guy who basically just wants something on the side. You know what I'm trying to say? No woman is going to say, I want to be like, or, or most women are not going to accept that. But that's the kind of reality you've got to prepare yourself for. The same thing happened, you guys have spoken about this so many times, but I'll just repeat it again. The same thing happened on the flip side in the Sunnah. Jabir ibn Abdullah, when his father, mother, Uliani passed away, and he's left now to deal with seven sisters. And all the girls, they're not crazy. They know that basically they're getting married to become a mother to six kids, seven kids. Yeah, yeah. So he himself was like, MashaAllah, Tabarakallah, young, you know, bachelor, blah, blah, you know, all the eligible, you know, super kind of guy. But they knew that we don't want to be thing. So he had to take the hit. So he got married to like an older lady, significant older lady, who understood that I will take a hit myself in what I'm getting my happiness. And as a result, but I will look after these kids. You get what I'm trying to say? Yes? She's in a situation where she can't get married to anyone else and she's got to take that hit. Everyone's always taking a hit somewhere. Yep. So he took one for the team, for his family. Got the sisters to look after. He's not going to enjoy the fun of marrying young, as the Prophet ﷺ said, marry the young and the... Uh, 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 just a little, uh, thingy. Huh? Those who are likely to have children, what's the word? Huh? Fertile. Fertile, fertile. Yeah, women. young fertile women. He's not going to get that. And he didn't get that. And the Prophet ﷺ praised him in Bukhari, in Sahih Bukhari. And the hadith has so much subhanAllah benefit. <coughs> but the point is, is that people need to understand that there are individuals that need to be given any specific yani, uh, fatwa according to the scenarios. 
All right? Okay, so what does Sheikh then say? Let's just finish off with this. And how long are we going now? One or two. Let's make this the last point. He says, so if a person then says, hold on, only haram can be allowed in necessity, not in itching. How is itching a necessity? Sheikh says, أنها, أنها he goes, it is possible actually, theoretically, for a person to be so affected by a particular itch that he can't even stand. He's like, yeah, and he, it's all over him. Uh, so for this person, so look, how, look at the wording of Ibn For this person, there's no problem. We give him the word, we give him fatwa. لكن إذا كان لبسه لحاجة فكيف يجوز ولا الضرورة؟ فالجواب أن التحريم لبس الحرير من باب تحريم الوسائل وذلك لأن الحرير نفسه من اللباس الطيب واللباس الزينة ولكن لما كان مدعى إلى تنعم إلى تنعم الرجل كتنعم المرأة بحيث يكون بحيث يكون سببا للفتنة صار ذلك حراما. He goes it's important to understand the nature of silk itself. Is it haram because of itself or because of what it needs to? It's because of what it needs to. It creates that, you know... What's that word? Creates what? Softness. That softness. You know the thing we talked about last week? Effeminate. Effeminate kind of... I can't even say gay behavior. What does it create? <laughs> creates that... Camp. Camp. That's the word. I'm looking for those kind of words. Camp effeminate kind of thing that leads you into kind of like a female kind of reality. Ask, yep. This bothered me last time. Yep. Like how, how, how come in, 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 uh, when, when you enter Jannah you're wearing this? Uh-huh. If that's considered a negative trait and it's going to lead you to negative traits. This is like the wine. The Sheikh said that uh, like the wine, Sharab and Dahura. There's a way of wearing silk in certain cultures which is not effeminate. I didn't like that at all. And I told you, I told you, I told you, I, I stated it in the lesson. I'm not happy with that. And I told him afterwards, what cause is that? That's Fiani, you know. And I'm not, you know, I could take it further and say that there is a number of Yani effeminate folks that are enjoying that reality. And they could argue that the clothes had nothing to do with it. And we could argue anecdotally the clothes had a lot to do with it. Who knows? What we know though is that in principle that's what happens. Okay? So, yeah. So. Sheikh says that, so therefore, it's not haram because of itself, but what it leads to in terms of how it affects your psychology and your reality and your mind and your X and your Y, Z, and therefore you turn into some kind of, you know, some woman or whatever, I don't know, yeah? So, وَقَذَّكَرَ أَهْلُ الْعِلْمِ And this is the thing that I have highlighted. أَنَّمَا حُرِّمَ تَحْرِيمَ الْوَسَائِلِ أَبَاحَتْهُ وَالْحَاجَّةِ Whatever has been prohibited because it is from the chapter or the category of تَحْرِيمَ الْوَسَائِلِ those things which have been prohibited because of what they lead to, they become permissible for a haja itself. They become permissible only at the level of a need. It doesn't need a darura to unlock it. Does that make sense? So something which in of itself is a haram because of what it leads to, i.e. silk, i.e. alcohol, okay, i.e. I don't know what i.e. other i.e.s there are, okay, then they become permissible. You don't need to be in a life and death scenario. Just a need, a haja, will make it permissible. Is that clear? This is a very important statement for your education and for your development as students of knowledge. Yeah, and as LP students, as students going forward, as teachers going forward, this is one of the most important principles. Sheikh Uthameen continues. He goes, وَضَرَبُوا لِذَلِكَ مَثَلًا 
Bil'araya. Bil'araya. And the scholars that established this principle that we just mentioned, that things which are prohibited because of what they lead to, then they become permissible even for a need, and not even a necessity. Where did this ruling come from? You can't just make rulings up, but we know where it comes from. It comes from a hadith, which is the concept of araya. We're not going to cover this for another at least 25 years. Okay? But when we do come to it, at least we will say, 25 years ago, we mentioned it. Okay? Araya is a specific situation in fiqh. Anyone know it? Araya is, as Sheikh uh, Uthameen uh, says, here, bay'urutab bit-tamar. Wa bay'urutab bit-tamar haram. Ya'ani shuf. What are we doing here, Shaz? Yeah, there's people speaking on the screen. You're not showing me, Yara. They should be involved in this as well. They've been there all the time. Come on, Yara. Um, just ignoring him, yeah? Take it. Let's make sure we get the folks involved. Okay, you know what? We're going to probably just bring it to a, a close in the next few minutes. But I just want to just quickly just... Or maybe we'll cover this hadith next week. How are you guys feeling? Knackered, isn't it? Well, it's hard to sit like this. I'm telling you. I, I, I'm not even going to lie. One second. One second. I know you got excited <laughs> by that, but just wait. Okay? Do I tell him a hadith? Okay, you know what? I'll, t- I'll, I'll, check out the, I'll check out the thingies. No, we don't check those out. We won't check these out. <laughs> they get you full on this. We've got you full on this. Yeah. And then we send you the, the other stuff. Oh. I don't know what you're flipping completely. You nicked all my... You nicked my Toblerone? You nicked my... What's the box of chocolate? Uh, Shaz, the other one? The big one that he munched all by himself? Biscuits. Biscuits? What were biscuits ready? What are you saying, girls? I don't think I'm passing the... Uh, don't think I'm passing the um, the whole box, okay? <laughs> you should go to Makrib classes. You know, we do this a lot. <laughs> oh, sorry, Chef. There we go. There we go. Why are you not going to check that? Shaz rubbish that. Honestly, very poor. Zafar, very poor. Zafar, very poor. Three catches all dropped. <laughs> okay, that's enough. No, no, okay, I'll give you this one. Three, if you don't catch it, you're still eating it. You guys around anymore? Any fudge? Any kuch? Thingy? Any boys? Greedy paggy. There you go. Unbelievable. Four attempts and you dropped every single one. Okay, have you got your energy now? Yeah? What about these folks online? What are they going to get energy from? You know, all of them, they sit there, coffees, biscuits. Have you seen their pictures? They're, you know, cats. They're lying down. They're starting. Customers, I've seen pictures they send in. I think on purpose just to freak us out. Did everyone miss out? Anyone miss out? Anyone want any more? No, I don't want You know it's a time for the big soft. Yeah? Alright. First of all, listen to me. That was a bribe, so you listen to me. <laughs> Dates. Okay? Dates, when they come off the tree, they go through five stages. The first is called... Let's do a quiz. What's the first stage called? How many stages? Alhamdulillah, you're alive and you're awake. What's the first stage? What's the date called when you pull it off? No. You're such an Egyptian, you know that. That's the only word we use. I know. My missus was saying to me earlier on, Balah. Balah is the only thing they say in Egypt. Balah. Aiz Balah. It sounds better. There's a certain level of romanticism with the word, I agree. So the first stage is called Tala. Hard, raw, rough. Not really edible, to be frank. The second stage is then called balah. The Egyptians got their word in. Alright? 
starting to get a little bit soft, you can start to feel the moisture in it. But it's still rough. Egypt, Egypt is the worst place for dates. They are so lame. Huh? I'll behave yourself. I never saw a single date worthy of eating in, in the entire country of Egypt. Egypt is this big. In fairness, neither in Pakistan did I see a single date worthy of eating. But these two countries, but you know, subhanAllah, it's amazing. The packs, because of how far they are, they don't have natural dates, they get the fifth stage of the dates and it's all hard, dry, dead and everything. Yeah? Egypt, they're at the other end. They've got all the, yani, the raw, rough, big, fat, massive yani, beast, yani, which is absolutely pointless. Might as well throw it at kids, yani, you know what I'm saying? Yeah? Alright. The next stage, third stage, is called Busar. Busar. That seems right. What's the fourth and fifth stage? You should all know that. Come on. Rotab is what stage? Fourth. Fourth. Why? Moist. 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 <coughs> Rotuba means moisture. And that fourth one is when it becomes, you know, Shaz put in a rotab, show them the picture. Yani, you know what, if you, find, if you find my one, type in Abu Isa, dates. I hope that doesn't bring up yani, anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but just type in Abu Isa, dates, into, I think hopefully it will bring up that picture from, uh, from uh, Google. You have to see what rotab is. I will show you real rotab. I wish I had planned this before, subhanAllah. Anyway, the fifth stage is then tamar. Dried out, very now nutritional. Yeah. I, huh? Found it. Allahu Akbar. Awal is here, my Nigerian boy Awal, he's here. He better be hungry, bro. And that's right, Asya. You're now going to see exactly how we eat uh, uh, rutab. Just push this one, innit? Oh, okay, we'll just sit there, it's fine. Um... Is it stuck? No, it's not stuck. It's not stuck. Just push it. Zafar, you're helping me, yara. What are you being scanned for, man? Custom, you're so rough. Push the whole thing, make it open. There we go. There we go. All right. You have this with milk on here. You seen it, yeah? Can you see it? I can't see it, Shaz. Is it on the screen or not? Put it on the screen for them. Yeah, it's there. No, you dead thing. It's there. On the video. Sick guy. I can't see it though. Show it to me, Yara. Make me happy at least. So anyway, if you look at this, dates and milk, Allah. Oh yes, you make me happy already, Kasim. Oof, oof. Shof, huh, Sheikh? Mal Halim. Oof. So if you look at them here closely, they're shining because they are completely soft. There's so much moisture, they've gone, all the hardness is now gone. And when you put that in your mouth, it's all soft like toffee. It like melts the whole thing. And I'm not saying there's no bite needed, that's my point. It's all soft. And you just literally just pull out the thingy and it's just, oh my goodness. Yep. And it's just like, like you're drinking whatever milk you're drinking. You just, it's just, yeah, experience next level. These boys... Okay, are going to go off very quickly. When you go to Medina, you are able to buy these. These are almost exclusive to Medina, the nice ones. Okay, the rest of the world struggles to get this rotab, this level that stays at that stage long enough to be able to be frozen. So you'll go to the date shop, you will not see them on display, but you'll see big freezers. You'll go, you'll see an ice cream tub there, 20 reals odd, and you buy it, but you've got to keep it frozen. Because these boys, they will turn and ferment and they will turn into alcohol. 
okay? Because the sugar will start going crazy and it will just go when it goes off, when it goes off, okay? So these boys, you've got to keep in the fridge. Within two to three weeks, if they're not eaten, they start to go off. I am currently on week three of mine, which is why I'm starting to feel a bit yani, giddy when I'm <laughs> thinking. I am not lying, I'm really enjoying it. And when I have about 10, 20, I'm a bit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, they're very soft. But if they're left on the tree, then it becomes, tamar becomes very hard. Now listen, you, you see, I teach logical progression in a fun way, but there's a serious point behind it. What's the difference between this and tamar, if you're weighing it together? Aslawani. What do you think? Huh? One's, one, one's less nutritious. You know, by the way, one is 70% water, the other one is whatever. In ter- 12%, I believe. In terms of carbohydrate content, carbohydrate content, uh, the tamar is like 57%, whereas in the rotab, which is so sweet when you taste it, it is like 12%. That's why you see that people are able to do many, many things, and for a long time, okay, I don't even know if you guys deserve this, to be honest, because you know, I asked you lots of questions and you guys said absolutely nothing. <laughs> and coming, uh, 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 yeah, yeah uh, that's it. And none of you guys, to be honest, done anything. None of you. Stop, 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 stop. Thank you very much. Sheikh will get one. It's a special one. Who actually helped? Yeah, well, he didn't help, to be honest. Oh, right, that was not good. Okay, there you go. How can you not like a thing? He wants a trouble wrong. This is special. No fruit and nuts. Tabron? Fruit and nuts? Tabron? Why are you closing your eyes and then pretending that oh, I'm scared and then you're going to go eat it like that afterwards? I don't people who hate like that. I don't. Right. So you understood, yeah? Next week we're going to talk about this hadith in detail. Okay? Um, next week we'll talk about it in detail. Let's do some questions. Okay? We'll talk about this hadith in detail. But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about dates, and I think I want you to go and maybe have a look about what happened. Oh my God, is that dark chocolate? Is that dark? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone save me. Who likes dark chocolate? <laughs> no, no, yeah, I can't stand dark chocolate. I can't do fudge. Yeah, you, you won today, you know that. All the chocolate's coming to you. So someone says, what do you do with balah? And I got it as a gift, and what do I do? Yeah, I don't know. What, what do you do with balah? Well, ask. <laughs> well, ask more than who'll eat it. Yeah, regardless. I'll tell you that you can make this and do dips with it. It's quite good. Really? Yeah. But it needs to be proper, put in a food process because it's hard. Yeah. Maybe, maybe soften it up just inside. Is it? You put it in water. It's very simple. Really, huh? You get desperate. Egyptians. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Egypt is not a place you go for dates. You know, nor is Mecca. Mecca, when you go to dates, buy dates, you're buying the, 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 the shop, you know, the fancy bakwas, you know, almonds and chocolate inside and yeah and raw. But, but if you want proper dates, you go to Medina where they're grown, you go to the orchards, you take them yourself, and so on and so forth. And you know, my Hajj group, an Umrah group, we've got a guy, we've got a hookup who goes to the farm. He's a student of knowledge, he's, actually, he's a proper, mashallah, sheikh, yani. His job is setting uh, dates. He has the best ajwa dates I have ever eaten. How much did he charge? 70 reals, was it? Yeah, 70 reals. For Awali, Awali is a, is a place uh, where the dates are very, very good. No, huh? I think last time when I was feeling generous, and then Bagel, obviously, I bought some to the class, I don't know what happened there, but yeah. At 70 reals, the right price for those boys is about 150. 
So he gets it super cheap and they are the best tasting uh, ajwa that you can have. Very nice. This is not the one we went with. Uh... It's like exa- from the same place where we went to Abu Dawood. Yeah. You know, same place. It will happen. Yeah. But only from an ajwa tree or whatever it is. No, no, no. It's got to be from the tree itself. There are different date trees that produce different types, and there are different conditions. That Medina produces beautiful conditions. Yeah, she should make kafkul. That's what she Really? Why would I do that? It's the only thing we do with it. Masha Allah. Masha. Okay. Any questions? Questions here? Tahani asked a question. I don't want to answer that, that Tahani because that's a difficult uh, question. What you're talking about is, she said, that, is it like a, a school loan that you get? I don't want to go into this, but I think I'm going to have to. Sometimes a question is asked. Can I take a loan where if I pay it off before a certain period, there's no interest? Okay. Now, I want to say a couple of things. The answer to this is the same answer to credit cards. I don't allow credit cards. And therefore, I don't allow this loan. Because you are agreeing that I will pay interest if. And that's the, you know, that's like saying, I will go and do zina with someone if I don't do X, Y, and Z. You would never do it. I will drink alcohol if I don't. You would never do it. So why did suddenly interest become okay? I will pay interest, river, if I, you know, don't do this, 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 this. So I don't like it. However, some scholars, they said, it's okay. Okay? That it's okay if you know 100% you're not going to do it, and the condition means nothing, and you've definitely put something in. Now, I just want to give you a, a scenario that was put to me. There was a sister who came to me, and she said, I want to go and do medicine. I've got all the grades. I've got the acceptance, whatever. I can't do it without taking a student loan. The student loan says, if you do not earn above 20x thousand pounds a year, you do not need to pay it back. She goes, I'm going to do medicine and I'm not going to practice. At best, I'm going to go and do yani, X work uh, uh, abroad, you know, uh, uh, humanitarian. humanitarian work, yeah, in Muslim areas, etc. I have every intention of getting married to someone who's going to support me. And therefore, I'm never going to be raising the, the wage, Yanni, to thingy. That question was put. And it's a really difficult question because actually what she's, trying to, what she's saying is that she's fulfilling the conditions of not paying the interest. Because that's what the, the contract says. If you do this, you don't need to pay it. And I'm not going to do it. Now, obviously, that's not what the, 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 the student loans company wants to do or hear, but that's what is actually happening. Anyway... I was going back and forth looking at different things, looking for principles, ideas, and, and whatever. Anyway, Sheikh Nasr Umar, who's one of the senior scholars in uh, Saudiya, I basically came to a conclusion it's permissible for her to do this. But I felt, yani, I felt hesitant because I couldn't find a salaf. And then, subhanAllah, like the next yani, hour, I think it was, I came across the fatwa of Sheikh Nasr Umar, who gave the permission for someone to do exactly that. Yani, exactly that. Not fulfill the conditions. So just Yani Fatahani's question, basically what she's saying, is it possible for me to take a loan and I know that I'm going to pay it back in a six months where whatever. That is the basic position where, where for, for the same with credit cards. I don't hold that to be permissible. I believe that there are too many variables, too many any situations out of your control, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
But yani, there are a number of scholars that allow this particular scenario. This kind of, you know, defined uh, period of time. You get what I'm saying? Asa? So, yeah. you think Yanis Mesa was saying is the ruler specifically life threatening the answer is no it's not always life threatening it's considered considered to be something of necessity okay come down Shaz some other comments about Yanis the fact that education oh by the way on the screen right now okay for those who are online there's something from some students of LP that they are raising awareness for Boko Haram and a thingy can you just bring it up so I can read it as well Shaz okay Um, you guys can see it on the screen now as well um, we want to uh, and these are some of our, our own people and they want to raise awareness they want to raise awareness for um, this organization free www.free-ng.org and this is of course going to getting back the uh, people that have been uh, uh, trafficked as well as those that are suffering and I just want to make sure that this gets a little bit of exposure okay so if you can support them, please do. At least yeah, raise awareness of it as well, inshallah. Um, also, don't forget, this weekend, we have Amar teaching the Asma'ullah Husna. Very important. I'm going to be there as well. Very nice yeah, way that he does it as well. So I'd advise you especially to bring your children. Go to the class and bring your children. I'm going to say this very clearly. 
this week, yani, a number of folks have come up to me saying, yani, what can we do for our kids? Even there, now in this masjid, I was seeing that kind of scenario with our kids. And uh, 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 come forward, come forward, come forward, 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 forward. Um, the, uh, and I want to say that they're looking to the masjid, they're looking to this, they're looking to that. I'm telling you, you should go with them to a class. When it's difficult, you explain, and when it's not, allow the teacher's skill to do that. You're paying for professional uh, experience, and the teacher has trained to do that. And if you feel that he's not hitting the mark, then you let him know, and he will hit the mark. And I think that uh, when it comes to this particular subject, you know, it's this the, it's the kind of subject that children can relate to, and and, and adults don't make you make, don't make you don't believe that it's some kind of kids class. It's a class that basically allows you to understand Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's relevance in your life. All of us believe in that, but few of us actually apply it and understand it. So I think that it's a very a good class for you guys to attend. Uh, like I said, it's uh, this weekend in EIC in Oldham, the the Islamic Center thing in European Islamic Center there. Okay, any questions? Uh, take and take that off the chairs. Um, if you want more information, almakrib.org slash Manchester. Uh, haram earnings. No, don't know anything there. Can we set a punishment for the one who looks up whilst praying is a punishment in the dunya? Always says, can we say the punishment for the one who looks up whilst praying is a, pun- is a punishment in the dunya? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he will take away his vision. Uh, I don't think... Yeah, maybe... Because the majority of the scholars did not interpret this as someone who will go blind. Sah? The one who looks around in the prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Look looks around, is it stealing? That's different than that looking up. Uh, correct. So what's thing. the punishment of the one who looks around? Uh, the one that's stealing from Salah. You're right. Well said. It's not the same as the one who looks up. So the one who looks up in prayer, his vision will be taken. So, yeah, maybe that could be seen as one. Any other questions? I'm feeling bad, by the way. I'm feeling really guilty, so I'm just going to just say that the one that was kept in thingy was. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, there's no way that this box is leaving my possession. Okay, I just want to say that I worked hard for today's lesson. I genuinely worked hard. I looked up, Yani, things that we haven't come to. And the worst thing is, is that I did that last time, and because I'll forget it by next week, I'm gonna to have to look it up again. The importance of silk in medical conditions. I've even learned all the various conditions. Okay, so I've done a lot of work. So I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I don't feel obliged to give you or to put this box out there. But what I do feel obliged to is to reward certain folks that I believe. Oh, okay, Shazad Yani, first of all, for Yani being an awesome guy. Zafar for just being, I don't know, whatever. Abu Dhar for coming to pick me up from my house because I was feeling too drowsy to drive. My Qura behind him who's helped me survive. Uh, Mu'min for just being Mu'min. With that for just yeah, putting the most... For the... For the, the, for the okay. Sheikh for being the Sheikh. Uh, my uncle there because he's a don he gave the adhan he does it all the time Shaq for bringing him in what a shot and I don't think that I can reward any other person I'll be very clear with you I'm not going to lie okay that's about as far as my generosity goes <coughs> everything is for it's, you can't just give it to everyone Sheikh, isn't it <laughs> don't 
Don't any, don't push, don't push too much. <laughs> we have two, three minutes. Any other questions? Any other issues? I was thinking about the suspension uh, of the thought, but the person who misses the Jum'ah prayer three times in a row, that's valid reason. So his heart being sealed, yeah? Yeah. You see, this kind of hadith is the exact kind of hadith which led to the scholars extending the definition of kabira from punishments in the akhirah to any punishments which are threatened. Because... There is no specific hadith which tells you about the punishment in the akhirah of what will happen to someone who misses three Jum'ah. However, it is so clear that if you are, your heart is sealed, that's the worst thing in this dunya and in the akhirah. That's why, this is a very good example, this is why the scholars, they felt obliged to say, it's not just the akhirah, but it's that which is punished and threatened in the dunya as well. Like missing Jum'ah prayer, Zakallah Okay guys, let's wrap it up. Barakallahu feek. Subhanakallahu bihamdika. Shadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfirullahu wa atubu ilaik. Yes, we're going to do salah as well. Okay guys? We'll record the salah.